Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hi, John. This is Dr. Hey, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So you have like a really interesting story. I am always interested in how people got into health and fitness to begin with. I know like 90% of people get into it for aesthetic reasons. And then usually they find something much bigger, which is what I love so much about this journey. So I always love hearing like what sparked the interest and you now have a PhD in it. So you have lots of knowledge, lots of experience. I love the information that you share. Thank Um, you. You're welcome. And what I really love is that your ability to bridge uh, kind of this, this scientific knowledge with this like very, you know, real life experience working with athletes and coaches. Right. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about where that's. Uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, my story is a, is a little similar to most people's. I mean, like you know, in, in the current um, state of affairs, um, both within just you know education, a lot of people just kind of come into the exercise science and sports performance world because you know they are an athlete and they like to exercise and they you know see this major like oh yeah I like to do all that so I just major in it. It was a little bit different for me at least at first. Um, you know, we were always active, uh, you know, as kids. I mean, I was a multi-sport athlete, you know, baseball, some martial arts, you played tennis. Um, and I was, I was a swimmer, you know, for a number of years. Um, so I was always like really active. And then um, my uh, senior year of high school, um, I actually went to the same high school as where my mother taught at. She's been retired for, for you know, f- over 15 years. Um, so across the hall from her was another, um, you know, teacher who just so happened to be coaching like a weightlifting course, um, at at the time. So he and I just started talking and, um, we ended up kind of meeting together at, um, you know, a local YMCA for that year. And it just kind of like, you know, really took off, you know, on its own. And, and I knew I was going to end up going to college and, you know, obviously wanted to, you know, start looking better, um, from from a physical, you know, perspective and, um, didn't have no idea like what I was going to like major in. Um, I've also been a musician most of my life. I started out with drums, then I transitioned into guitar. And now I've, I've really played piano, um, you know, for the most part. Um, so, you know, I was looking in the course catalog and I, I believe, I can remember uh, like my first semester, my first year, I was, you know, well, I mean, I like to work out. And so let's see if there's anything, you know, in the course catalog about exercise or whatever. So, you know, so exercise science, like, you know, that sounds pretty cool. And um, so I just kind of like really got into it. Um, obviously I didn't really do well, you know, in college, my first couple of years, uh, in fact, I almost dropped out of college, um, after uh, the end of my sophomore year, um, 
a combination of just unhappiness and but also merely because of grades um so uh to, to, to kind of stick to the um you know story a little bit more in a sense but i ended up um getting back in you know full time um, i met some individuals that um were higher up in the administration and they worked with me and we i got back in you know full time and um for three years i remember from uh, 2002 to 2005, um, I did nothing but academics. Um, I, I didn't take any vacation. I didn't go anywhere. Uh, fall, spring, and summer, just you know, just went with it. Um, graduated undergrad, I think, with a 3.0 or 3.2, which was good considering I was a sub 2.0 GPA um, going into that. Um, and then I, I matriculated right into my master's. So I originally wanted to do my master's elsewhere, like out of state, um, but for time and financial purposes, I decided to stay there like where I was. I got it done in three semesters, fall, spring, and summer, um, you know, with two certifications. I, I ended up with a master's and two NSA certifications by the time I was 23. Um, so, and then I, um, I knew I wanted to go try to get a doctorate because I, I didn't, I really, I wasn't really like into the industry at that point in time. It would be like, you know, many years before I was really doing the things that I'm doing now. But I, I tried to think ahead as much as possible, and I knew that the industry was going to continue to grow, um, both either uh, educationally, academically, and even you know within the within the private sector. Um, so I decided to go do a doctorate because um, I I knew like, you know, I, I originally wanted to just te teach college, um, but I knew you had to have a PhD for that. So um, coming from somebody that I, I hated school, um, you know, all throughout childhood, I didn't like to read, I hated to write, and I ended up getting a full scholarship to University of New Mexico um, for a PhD program. And um, so that's where I got my doctorate. I got my doctorate in exercise phys um, with a minor either in physiology or research. I think it could have been a double minor. I don't, I don't really remember, but um, just because of course transfers and stuff. Yeah. And so that was, that was a really, very challenging time. Um, and there was a lot of ups and downs, you know, with that. And um, so I've been defended now uh, for just over five years. Um, so I defended my doctorate um, May 6, 2015. In fact, this past May was the actual uh, five-year mark for that. Um, and then since yeah. that time, yeah, thanks. And then um, since that time, I've, I've spoken at um, uh, over 40 conferences and events. Um, I've published like 10 book chapters, um, you know, dozens and dozens of podcasts, um, close to two dozen publications, um, both research and non-research. Um, you know, been on various, you know, uh, masters, you know, uh, committees for other students, um, uh, went to other conferences, you know, networked, um, you know, been in all kinds of like, you know, fitness and strength magazines online, um, you know, Wall Street Journal twice, you know, Women's Health Oxygen, all that stuff. So um, I, I, it's, it's really kind of taken on a life of its own and it's grown significantly, you know, since that time. And, and, and so um, uh, I started in my early doctorate years, I'm starting to compete in the sport of strongman. And, and so I've done like seven or eight contests in the past. Um, I qualified, I did qualify for a national contest one time, but um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go because it was just, you know, too expensive at the time. And it was like way on the, on the other side of the country. Um, but uh, I'm trying to get into some other martial arts or, you know, uh, BJJ types of things just to learn a different skill and not, not really wanting to compete at, at that, but just to learn a different skill. And um, I still try to do the events for strongman from time to time. And, and, um, you know, so that's kind of how things have really adapted and, and evolved. Um, I've always been somebody that's very, been very like non-traditional in my thinking. 
Um, you know, people talk about like out of the box thinking. I mean, yeah, we can you know, we can use that phrase, but um, it, it's really more. Um, I mean, what are what are other people not doing that people should be doing in, in a sense? Um, and uh, I'm not somebody who's who's really been. Um, I don't like the status quo when it comes to a lot of things. Yes, that's fine. It does serve a purpose. Um, but there comes a point in time where, you know, if you're not adapting and evolving, whether you're within an organization or, you know, personally or professionally, um, you can pretty much call it quits. Um, you know, the world moves too fast. Uh, and, and if you don't want to adapt and evolve to current circumstances, you know, economically or, or even politically or, or culturally or educationally, whatever it is, um, you're going to find yourself, you know, very far behind. And you won't be able to kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of transgress or progress those things onto other individuals to help make those people, you know, better. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, I've, I've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, and I try to really, you know, whenever these topics come up, I, I try to talk about the ups and downs, even the downs as much as possible, because, you know, just like a lot of people in our culture, whether it's in the health and fitness industry or whether it's in, you know, um, Hollywood or whatever it is, everybody always sees the, the successes, but then they never stop to actually think of how the person actually got there in the first place. People don't talk about their failures like they really need to. And it, I think it serves a, a very good purpose for people to know those, not because, you know, it's just the thing to do, but people really need to know a lot of the struggles that people have because then people can actually relate to it and then it builds a buy-in and builds relationships. You know, you can start to build some type of community and, and feed off each other and all that stuff. So, um, you know, everybody goes through ups and downs. And it's possible, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I was assistant professor for a first job for a couple of years. I was actually let go. Uh, and I would, that was a bunch of, you know, bullshit. Um, and then I ended up taking a job at a location that I wasn't really happy with, but I, but I just needed to, you know, have another job at the time and have some income. And then um, a little over two years ago, uh, I, was, I was very unhappy where I was. I mean, I, I was traveling during that year from fall 17 to spring 18, because I was speaking a lot and going to, you know, other conferences. But I was just really unhappy. I mean, I didn't like driving an hour to the airport, an hour and 40 minutes up and back, you know, going cross country, um, having to stay um, the night um, prior to, you know, leaving in, in, in the morning and all this other stuff. And so I decided to pick up my life and come out and move to Phoenix, you know, Arizona. Um, I knew a few, you know, still have some, you know, friends here, but I didn't know a few people. Um, and then I ended up getting a, a position um, here at GCU um, as a as a you know faculty member, um, and you know so I've been here teaching over two years, and then um, I decided to kind of I want to do more private sector things, so I started a website, you know, started my own LLC, created a logo, um, and the logo has been I've had that since the beginning of earlier this year, and started the website, you know, um, you know last year, um, and I actually wanted to I actually started building a website in. Um, what was it? Um, early spring, um, uh, 2018. Um, but just kind of sat on it, you know, for a little over a year. And then once I started posting like more regular content on social, then I started to, to finish it and, and uh, executing on it. So, you know, that's been done. And then, um, I'm trying to, um, uh, get a book contract for uh, human kinetics. Um, that's, that's been pretty slow. Um, I do know the acquisition editor, um, and, um, I mean, pretty much every year for the last three years, I've written like one or two book chapters. Last fall, I wrote three, uh, one of which was for NSCA. 
Um, and I've always been pretty involved with that organization. I've spoken to like 16 or 17 other conferences, been on some other committees, uh, a couple of special interest groups and uh, been published in, in all their journals, uh, you know, um, so uh, always been involved with them, you know, really good organization. Um, and then I ended up doing, writing a couple of book chapters for another uh, well-known uh, fitness organization. Uh, that, that comes out either December or January, then the NSCA chapter comes out next May or June. So it's always been pretty, you know, pretty busy. Um, you know, I, I, I love teaching. I like working with the students. Um, you know, I did a publication last year, you know, with, with a student. Um, and I, I like, I like teaching because it helps me maintain the skill of teaching, um, you know, maintains yeah. uh, the interactiveness, if you will, and the engagement with a crowd and um, keeping them as informed as I can with what's going on in the current state um, of the world, whether it's in the private sector or in education and what's actually going on within the framework of the industry, because they don't really get that with anybody else. Um, you know, the other schools I was at, I, I was pretty much the main person that knew what's going on in the industry, you know, speak at a lot of places, you know, do stuff on social. Um, and, and most, you know, people, and it's nothing against anybody, you know, personally, just kind of like the, the setting of the environment. Um, and you feel like they, they're, they're learning material, but they're not learning like real world practical applications. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, it kind of, it depends on, uh, you know, the department, you know, who's teaching, you know, what the content is, but, um, you know, for the most, for the most part, at least traditionally speaking, um, it's been just, you know, theory and stuff. And yes, there's a lot of hands-on things that I've done with other courses. So they get that, but I guess, um, I've always been like the main faculty member that's just been like a true practitioner. Um, but yet that, that can really blend the real world stuff and the science because, you know, I don't really just like talk about it, like I actually do it. Um, so, um, so that's why I like working with the students to kind of get them exposed to what actually goes on in the real world. And, and all the time, like throughout the year, I mean, they asked me about career things. Right. You know, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with a, a coach in St. Louis uh, that I met um, a long time ago when I, when I lived there um, about career opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, they, they reach out, you know, on a regular basis throughout the year about what, not really what they can do with the degree, but like all these other opportunities that, that nobody talks about. Right. So I want to ask you, you, you said you went, you wanted to get a PhD because you wanted to teach. Like that was yeah. one of your motivating factors. So right. one, I'm curious, what was your PhD in? What did you do? So my, my doctor is actually in exercise science. Um, right, right. What, what was the focus on though? The, right. Uh, you mean like my dissertation? Yeah. So my dissertation was actually eccentric training and applications. Um, and so that was actually published in the Journal of Streaming Conditioning Research three years ago in the March 2017 issue. So I actually did an eccentric training study, a real study with real people. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it was a total, the training period itself was a total of four weeks, but the amount of time to actually do it um, was about four and a half months. Um, and that was doing it like full time. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved with some other studies, uh, co-authored uh, a lot of other publications. Um, uh, and the some other things with students. Screening, I find really fascinating because um, I find right. like especially for new like adult athletes who are newer to sports a lot of their injuries tend to be with tendons uh, mm -hmm. right as opposed to children it's more bones and eccentric training can really help uh, prevent right. yeah 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 totally um, not, not only with like sports performance but just like with movement in general and whether it's deceleration or moving and you know frontal, sagittal, you know, transverse planes, 
um, but it's a lot of a lot of really uh, a lot of benefit with the clinical population right. as well, the elderly um, to decrease risk of falls and fractures and maintain eccentric power output and, and eccentric strength, especially as a person gets older. So uh, I'm in a slow process of trying to do a big review article for. Uh, you know, a big journal about this, but something I want to do for the last like four years. And it's just like, it's just a very slow process. And, um, you know, luckily, I mean, I've been getting up a little bit earlier so I can hopefully start a little bit more, but, but yeah, that's kind of, um, like I said, I mean, I, I like yeah, teaching, I but it's really underrated eccentric training. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, but I like doing stuff in the private sector. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and because there's more money, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, everyone loves to make money and that's why we work. Um, but, um, there's no money in education, whether it's K through 12 or whether it's a university level, um, you, you know, you can't influence and reach like the massive amount of people that, that you really want to reach. Um, it doesn't mean that one area is good and one area is bad. Sure. It's just, you have to understand like the pros and cons uh, of each and like kind of weigh those. You need your priorities, right? Yeah. You, you have to weigh those with, with what your yeah. personal and professional goals are. So, um, I mean, I'll, so I like teaching, but um, so, what, so you said that you wanted to get a PhD so that you could teach. What was your, why did you want to teach? Why did you want to teach college level? What was the well, because I knew that being a practitioner early on, I knew that I could be in the position to blend the science and the practical stuff very well, which gives me an advantage and the students an advantage because then there's somebody in that department that can really up the ante and provide a, a higher value grade to them. Oh. Yeah, oh. that's awesome. Yeah. And how, what, do, what do you love most about teaching? Um, probably the engagement um, and just getting people to think critically and analytically about things and mm -hmm. get them to change their thought process instead of rote memorization, get them to just apply and execute things. Um, and, you know, people talk about, you know, yes, you can apply, I mean, you could, well, hell, I mean, you can apply anything, but are you really actually applying it or are you just saying that you are applying it, which are very different things? Um, you know, for example, it's like, there's, there's tons of people within academia and departments that, I mean, they, they couldn't even do a body weight squat, you know, correctly. Um, they wouldn't know like how to teach or coach like a lap pull downs, you know, just, just basic things. Um, you know, some of them are, are professors, some of them are administrators, you know, or whatever it is. So it's, um, that, that's what I've found. I mean, I think, I think today we're in a better position that we do have these quote, like hybrid people like me, you know, that, that do work with people and have worked with people. Um, so there, there's a, there's a, a, a higher percentage of these hybrid individuals but on the whole, like we still have a, a long way to go. Um, and, I, and I think over, over time, you're gonna see a greater percentage of these hybrid individuals that have experience, not only working with uh, you know, other trainers, um, you know, clients, you know, athletes in different settings, whether it's private sector, but also have like business knowledge um, and, and how the actual world really works. I, and I think you bring up such a great point about critical thinking, because I think that this is a huge problem throughout academia it currently in general. I think that there's uh, a lot of focus on them to trying to teach you what to think instead of how to think. And you yep. would think that the sciences would be, you know, invaluable to this, but they're not, you know, which is 
really sad. I think that that should be the one field where, you know, you're, it, it is truly just an exploration. Uh, that is the, the definition of the scientific method is you are exploring, you know, but instead it, I, it, it's become kind of like many of the other fields of academia where they're yeah yeah I mean and I, and I tell students it's like I mean I, I call it the what box basically uh -huh. if you if you draw like um you know four squares you know square 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 here yeah. it's like all of them want to just connect each box and yeah. leave nothing and then the middle is actually open so I call it the what box but what I truly try to get them to do is it's actually fill that space with the, the whys and the hows, like think things, think about how, why things happen and how things happen. Um, because the what's kind of are like, um, you know, uh, like a straight line, it just gets you from point A to point B, but imagination will take you everywhere. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. What, um, so when you work with your students, do you, um, do you try to get them to really apply both like the physical, I, I talk a lot about mind-body connection. One of the things, you know, I'm a very heady intellectual person, but like movement is such a huge part of, of how I learn. Um, I think that it, you know, it, it integrates the mind and body and you can't, and if you're studying movement, in, which is essentially what exercise physiology is, then, you know, to me, it doesn't make sense for it to be only in theory. So do you work with them in really- uh, Yeah, so it depends on the class that I teach. Like if I'm teaching sure. like sports performance lecture or really lab, you know, we go through a whole host of material and oftentimes I will, I will do the demonstrations myself or do different movement patterns to get them to kind of visually see what actually happens. Um, you know, I can tell you, I mean, it's, and it's gotten worse in terms of this particular context, but um, a, lot, a lot of the students, um, a lot of them either don't exercise or don't move very well. Um, and I mean, some people just, I mean, it's just, it's kind of sad. I mean, if I were running the show, I mean, um, I wouldn't accept any students unless they go through some type of like, um, you know, physical performance test. You know, I have to do so many, you know, body weight pushups or, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I know I'm, could be a little bit facetious, but I mean, if you're going into a, a major that requires you to be physical of some kind, it doesn't matter if you go into physical therapy because, you know, I, I've, I've stated this like a, a million times. Um, if, if, if you, if you don't know, then you can't show, right? Okay. So if all you know is, you know, bicep curls and bench and rows and just straight up bodybuilding stuff, um, or traditional things that you learn in the physical therapy program, that's all you're going to be giving to your clients or, you know, or your patients. Um, and so that you really limit, um, not only the critical thinking process, but, but you don't really, um, um, expand your mind to newer thought processes and areas that can ultimately um, grant you uh, your ability to be a more effective, um, uh, you know, coach or trainer or even educator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you talked a little bit about the, you know, uh, education sector versus the private sector business ventures. Um, so how do you, you're saying that the business world is very enticing to you. Where do you see yourself moving in, in that? Um, really just, you know, helping other companies out, whether it's organization, I've done, I've done a consult, some consulting with some other companies. Um, and I do have a, a partnership with Under Armour, um, you know, so um, hopefully, you know, we continue to kind of move forward, you know, with that in any way, shape or form. Uh, I, I mean, obviously they've, um, 
have taken a big backseat and had a lot of financial issues really this year just because of the COVID stuff, along with other, you know, millions of other companies and, and businesses. So uh, I mean, they're not an, an exception, but, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, I like to get involved with them. You know, somehow I do have some um, distant contacts um, that I can potentially get involved with. But, um, you know, the, 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 a lot of the bigger, biggest differences between like education, academia, and, you know, business is that, you know, the business world, you know, moves pretty fast, you know, for the most part, whereas, you know, education, academia move really, really slow. Um, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's not like you have more people involved. I mean, you probably have the same, you know, or like equal amount of people involved on both sides. Um, but it's funny because, you know, uh, universities, um, and I know it sounds like I'm like, you know, shitting on university, but, but I'm not like, I'm just giving some, providing the insight to people that, that may not see the bigger picture, right? I mean, there's, there's pro and con to every job. There's pro and con to universities or, you know, private sector stuff. There's pro and con to everything. Um, but, you know, universities are a business. Um, they're, they're business. They're, they're, they're out to make money. Um, and and I, I've heard some people call it a, uh, um, you know, multi-million dollar businesses disguised as learning centers. Um, you know, so um, that's just kind of how it is. I mean, and it's funny because if, if somebody would have asked me, maybe, you know, three years or four years ago, if, you know, John, like you want to do more private sector stuff or, you know, do your own, you know, logo or website or whatever. I'd be like, I don't know, maybe, you know, we'll see. And now look at how things have really evolved and, and the tables that have actually turned, you know, as a result of that. And so, um, you know, that's just part of like the creative process, but also, you know, I have a lot of close friends and confidants that, you know, the people um, that I know the most, well, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The people that I know the most, I know a lot of people, but the people that I know that are making the most money are not in the university setting. They're in the private sector uh, right. doing their own thing, or maybe they teach on the side or whatever it is. Right. Uh, you know, and everybody's lost money this year because of all this stuff. I mean, I've lost a bunch of money. And um, so we're now in the process of trying to, you know, regain some of that and looking to do some of my own webinars here, um, you know, uh, you know, pretty soon. Go ahead. So speaking of uh, COVID and, you know, this current situation this past uh, six months, what are your thoughts on that impact on people's health, uh, lifestyle, uh, just the current, you know, zeitgeist of the country and the world? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was, a, that was a really simple question. Give me like two word answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, you know, let, let me, let me put it like this, um, and we can maybe go uh, in, in, in a little bit deeper. Um, <laughs> obesity is a, is a, is a multi-layered problem, um, and obesity kills over 300,000 people a year, and nobody talks about it. I mean, if we do, it's just, it's at conferences, it's on social, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's thousands and hundreds, hundreds or thousands of papers written about it every year, um, but from a um, economical or, say, a, a cultural financial perspective perspective yeah. Uh, yeah social cultural nobody does shit about it yeah. um and cancers um various cancers kill over six hundred thousand people a year and, and same thing i mean you know it's it's unfortunate it's it's sad um you know i, I don't wish you know harm uh, on anybody but it ultimately comes back to how well that you take care of your health and all these problems you know and, and they and they absolutely relate to covid because you know we've seen here um, just recently, I believe they updated it back in June 
but it really didn't get more mainstream until early August, you know, when the CDC updated their, um, their, their deaths and the percentages of the individuals who actually died from COVID itself, you know, over like 100, now it's like 200,000, but it was like 180,000 something deaths, 6%, which is around 10,000 or less than under 10,000 people actually died from COVID. The rest of the 94% had at least two or three other comorbidities and pre-existing conditions, all of which can be directly traced back to your, you know, lack of, of, of moral conscience with your health and, and the way that you actually take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it costs billions. Like, we're not talking like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, billions of dollars every year that people waste on all these stupid ass healthcare products. Um, you know, obesity, and it's like all these guidelines. I remember years ago, you may remember this. Um, this was like in the, probably throughout the 90s and even like early, like, you know, mid 2000s, uh, like ACSM, they recommend everybody get, you know, 30 minutes of exercise, you know, five, six days a week. And then like, a while later, they up they updated to like an hour. Well, that's fine and everything, but if you're not getting 30 minutes, how are you going to get an hour? Yep. You know, so I mean, guidelines are guidelines are fine. Sure. Um, you know, from a uh, political and uh, liability you know perspective, but it ultimately comes down you know to action. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. It's like these are the things that we really need to be tackling and talking about. And I and I. I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to come up um, within the next um, term of the, of the presidency. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's something I actually, I would love to ask your opinion on. I think that there is, I, I think some of this uh, lack of personal responsibility in people's health is very indicative of a sociocultural phenomenon, like that is a much more macro uh, yeah. much more macro scale that you know is happening in, in other arenas um what do you think about this whole you know i there's there's this very interesting dichotomy like certainly in the fitness industry uh where you know there's the, the one end of the spectrum where and i see a lot of this lately with the like body positivity movement and right and I, I personally don't support it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of it at all. I think it's quite detrimental. Um, you know, not, not that I think people should go around like fat shaming or, you know, but that's not what I'm saying. But I think that there is an element of, you know, trying to normalize things that are not healthy or things that are, are outliers and should not be treating it as normal. There should be right. for those people. Um, what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's, it's, it's like you can, you can dissect, you know, anybody can just dissect all the, you know, whether it's fat shaming or try to create an argument on it, that it's okay to be 300 pounds with 45% body fat. I mean, folks, like, I, I mean, you don't, you don't need a PhD or any type of medical degree to, to it's common freaking sense. I mean, it's not healthy to be a woman or man, man or woman and be 300 pounds, you know, with uh, almost half your body, you know, being fat. You're at risk for pretty much everything, whether it's cardiovascular disease, cancers, you know, uh, diabetes. You know, I have to call it diabetes. I think it's funny. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, cl cholesterol problems, blood pressure problems, but just, um, you know, breathing problems. Like, excuse me, you're, you're at risk for everything. Um, a lot know, of mental health but, problems too. Well, yeah, me mental yeah. health, but it's like, um, you know, and the, and the other side of the equation with with, with that is um, that I don't know if we 
glorify it as much, but this, and I don't know if we, if we, if we're nor, trying to normalize it unnecessarily, but all the shit that we're around with all the crappy food, you know, you have these um, uh, food companies and all these lobbyists, um, you know, in DC that, you know, they, they push ads, they push medications. It's like, you know, your, your vaccine can be found at your freaking local grocery store in the fruit and vegetable aisle. Um, you know, so, you know, with high protein and, um, you know, healthy fats, it's like, and I, somebody was else was talking about this. Um, I don't know who it was, but it's like everybody really knows and should know that, yes, you have to exercise, you know, have to work out and eat it. It's like everybody already knows this, but so many people, I mean, literally like obesity is like 45% of the population in the U.S., you know, 330 million people, you know, 42, 45% are overweight or obese. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Um, you, you think know, that's a cultural it, phenomenon? What, what do you think is causing that? Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot, it's a lot of different things. It's um, cultural, it's socioeconomical. Um, it is, um, it could be also metabolic. It's also environmental, um, which not, it's not as discussed as much the environmental part. Um, but really, the overall in-depth education of what constitutes healthier food, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, can you eat healthy, like it, it Mickey D's? Yes and no. I mean, instead of getting like, a, a, you know, a big ass, you know, burger that has 1200 calories, you can just get like a grilled chicken sandwich and a salad, but you don't have to put all the dressing on there. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the education that we lack you know, with food, despite the fact that we have some of the smartest, you know, most talented people, you know, in health and fitness, uh, whether they have big followings or not, or whether they, you know, do all this research stuff. I mean, there's, there's research conferences like on obesity. I mean, the actual conferences on obesity, and I've never been to one, but I don't really know what they actually talk about, you know, besides the physiological and you know, metabolic consequences. But, um, it's just, uh, it's really interesting. It's almost as like, you know, you have all the information at your disposal, but you just sit and stand there and do nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that is, uh, I, I, I actually think that that's morally repugnant. I think that people who know should be educating people um, and that, that should, there should be some sort of accountability because yes, there are environmental factors. Yes, there's metabolic. Yes, there's some genetic factors, but a lot of it boils down to, you know, personal responsibility, you mm -hmm. know, that you can do something about it. You can improve well, yeah. the current state that you're in. So yeah. And, and I think, I think people are on this uh, bandwagon of anything but personal accountability and responsibility. Therefore they can make up some other excuse not to actually, you know, follow through with it. Which is so why, we're, 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 Sorry, which is why I really don't like the body positivity movement because I think it lets people say, okay, this is fine. And they yeah. don't need to do something about it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. Um, it's, and it creates um, uh, unnecessary room for a bunch of excuses. Um, and then people think it's okay to be, you know, a woman who's 250 pounds and they can wear like a swimsuit and be on the cover of something. It's just, it's, it's not, I'm not saying, I'm not to say, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be, everybody needs to be uh, a famous supermodel, you know, but, but, you know, genetics does play a part of course, but you know what? It's like, you know, people can be dealt with um, less than optimal genetics and then actually like really work hard and, and achieve what they really want. I mean, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, I genetically have a little bit more body fat, um, 
you know, in, in, in the um, chest area and, and midsection versus other parts of my body. But like anything else I've had to do, I've always had to fight for every inch, you know, for every mile. Um, you know, I always have to work two or three times as hard than the next person. So it's just, um, uh, it's just that kind of the way it is, you know, with, with individuals. But I, I, I hopefully suspect that will uh, often change uh, or will change in the, in the coming years. Because if it doesn't, um, I mean, you have to start doing stuff now because it's, it's just, it has gotten progressively worse since the 90s. Every decade since the 1990, you know, every single state, especially in the South, um, you know, lack of money, lack of resources. Um, every state is, is, you know, except for like the West Coast, whether it's, you know, New York or here, Phoenix and Arizona or California, it's like, you know, um, overweight and obesity has just skyrocketed to heights we've, we've never seen before. And, and, it's, and it's scary because, because it, it directly affects health insurance. Um, it directly affects, you know, the types of food. Um, it, it, comes, it trickles down, um, you know, to the economy. It's a burden on the economy. Absolutely. So. Uh, yeah, so that brings me to my next question. So <laughs> I love you. You do these quizzes on uh, social media. And if you're not following, oh, yeah. you absolutely should. Dr. J. Mike um, on Instagram. He does these quizzes with all sorts of great, like, scientific, uh, you know, questions. And I love them. And then he ends with some sort of uh, historical, economic, or political science question. So right. clearly you have an interest there. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious about that journey as well. Why, you know, why, why is a, you know, fitness specialist, <laughs> um, you know, posting about political climate? Um, I mean, why, why is anybody posting about political climate? You know, right, right. More, you know, so it's, um, you know, what's interesting about that is, um, and, and I'll be honest, um, I, I was a, a Democrat and a registered Democrat for a number of years. Um, I voted for Obama, you know, first term. Um, and, and I think that's, that's pretty typical of most young people, um, especially, you know, in college or whether in your, you know, your, all through your 20s or even, you know, 30s. I mean, there's really no, like, age separation of you go from, like, a Democrat to now all of a sudden, okay, like, now you're 40. Now you're going to be, like, a Republican. It's just, I mean, there's people, like, in their 50s, 60s, like, you know, they've been Democrats their whole life. And, you know, you ask them questions and the, the typical response is, well, I've just been that way, like, my whole life or my friends are or my family is. And it's like, they, they, have, they have no evidence um, to the contrary. And I can't really provide any type of merit to their answer. So, um, I mean, I, I, was a, I wasn't a, a, a far left, or, um, but I was, um, you know, middle left or kind of, you know, center left. Um, and, you know, b because I was younger and I, I really didn't understand, and this was like during my PhD and, and even after, I mean, I, I'm not far right either, um, but I'm not far left. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, conservative. I'm fiscally conservative. You know, I believe in smaller government. I believe in lower taxes. I believe in getting rid of the payroll tax. Um, I believe in having a, a, a booming economy to help businesses and small business because that's the bread and butter of, you know, how America, you know, rolls, you know, it, anymore. You know, without that, you know, th there is nothing. Um, so th there's, there's been a couple of things that I've been a little bit more liberal on. Um, I, I used to be um, uh, pro-choice and now I've switched to pro-life. Um, uh, because I really didn't, you know, a long time ago, really up until like recently, I really didn't know a lot of the, the history of, you know, pro-life. And, and in some ways, like I understand, yeah, you know, my body, my choice, but people don't seem to realize 
that, I mean, you, you are killing like an embryo. You are killing like a human fetus. You're, you know, it, it, it can be murder in a sense, you know, legal or, you know, bless you, you know, legal or not. I mean, it's just, that's what you're really doing. So um, I've always been conservative in ways and done some things I was a little bit more like liberal on, but I tell you what, what the, um, what really took off for me um, and I did vote for Trump um, because nobody likes Hillary, crooked Hillary, uh, Hillary. Um, and, uh, you know, she was a horrible candidate. And, and I, was, I was a little bit skeptical of Trump at first, but over the last several years, it's like, damn, I mean, this guy is just taking care of business. Um, I mean, he's been probably the best president we've had probably since Ronald Reagan. And Reagan was a, you know, a two-term Republican. Um, and I was, you know, obviously really young, you know, during that time. But um, what, what really took off for me uh, actually occurred um, over the course of the last seven to eight months of this year, because during like the lockdown, it's like, okay, you know, like, what do you do? I mean, my social media kind of um, wasn't growing, you know, nearly as quick, you know, so I took some time to kind of read up on, you know, stuff with history or, you know, whether it's black America or the economy or, you know, just familiarize yourself more, you know, with, with, you know, constitutional facts and historical facts in the U S um, you know, and, and I'm not going to ever, you know, run for office or anything. I probably will in my industry for certain organizations, you know, in, in the future. Um, but what, what really, um, kind of did it for me was, um, just knowing more and digging in more about the history and, and facts and, and kind of like, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, the, the fake news media is saying this, but, but this is what's actually like, you know, really happening. Um, because really like, you know, if you look back in the eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties, even early, you know, mid two thousands, there was no social media, you know, people just read newspapers or listen to radio or just watch and believe whatever it is on, on TV. And now it's like, you have all these social platforms. And of course, you know, they have censorship out the ass right now. Um, and you, know, you, you have not only more information at your disposal, but you have a, this huge conglomerate of like digital soldiers that are out and are putting out information that, they, that the mainstream media is never discussing, um, you know, and that's how people, you know, I mean, obviously Trump can't do it by himself. So, you know, we have these digital soldiers with all these other individuals that are actually, you know, spitting truth um, and, and, you know, and, and it, it has really um, transitioned um, very nicely, but also um, heavily um, with all this other crap that's going on right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so you think, you feel like your views have very much shifted in these past eight months? Uh, yeah. Um, and, and it's like, now that like you have a small business and people that do have small businesses, um, they tend to be more conservative. Uh, you know, most, most blacks by nature are, are typically more conservative. Um, you know, that's just kind of, that's just kind of their nature. Um, especially if you have, you know, families, you got kids, you own a restaurant or own some type of small business. I mean, I, I really don't know a lot of business owners where they have restaurants or if they're in New York or California that are okay with paying a high taxes um, on their, on their business, you know, because it's going to affect, you know, the, not only the profit share, or just you know, the revenue, um, you know, they have to pay out insurance or whatever it is, all this overhead, you know, I mean, yes, there are business owners that are, that are liberal, but those tend to be like on the higher upper echelons of like the millionaires or billionaires, you know, but Jane or Joe Smith that, that runs a local pizza shop, you know, is likely going to be, you know, conservative, um, you know, because they don't have, you know, enough capital, you know, to do that. Um, you know, you look at the way that small businesses is run now, even, you know, pre COVID, 
Uh, we had the best economy that we had in, you know, probably ever. Um, you know, um, you know, a uh, 3.2% GDP across like a $22 trillion economy, um, you know, lowest unemployment across the board with, with every, you know, major um, index of uh, individuals, lowest unemployment across the U.S., lowest black unemployment, lowest Hispanic, Latino unemployment, you know, lowest disabled unemployment, you know, across the board, it was everywhere. Um, and that's what happens when you actually have large deregulation um, of policies that were put in place uh, by uh, Obama um, and all the other far-left Democrats who did everything they, they try to do to try to dismantle this country. You know, when you have high tax, when you have large regulation, you know, when you're trying to operate or, you know, get capital for a small business, you cannot. And so that puts a huge burden on your ability to, you know, open up, you know, get clients, you know, get customers or whatever it is. So when you deregulate coupled with lower taxes, you know, it's expected that you're going to have a, a larger, you know, economy, especially now that Trump has actually brought a lot of manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, at the same time, we're, we're companies are actually moving out of China. Um, I know that Samsung has actually moved its last company out of China. You know, India, India has pulled its, a lot of its companies out of China. Um, so the supply chain has actually been deregulated um, from China, you know, because of, because of Trump. And because, you know, in the, in the years prior, um, you know, uh, this country was almost like owned by China. You know, I mean, they, 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 uh, a lot of our jobs and companies, you know, went overseas because of bad policies, you know, and, and I will say in the past that, um, a lot of the re traditional Republicans, um, you know, they also had bad policies. So it's not just Democrats. It was Republican. It was Republicans too. Politicians um, are politicians, sure. Yeah. But, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of George Bush, you know, Bush 43. Um, but, you know, I certainly wasn't a fan of Obama, especially second term. Um, and he basically did like a switch. I mean, here, here's somebody that has a very sketchy background. Um, and um, that, you know, when he got elected, uh, I mean, it was, um, it, it meant something to, you know, millions of people, somebody that you thought that was going to basically just put a, a, a stomper on, you know, the race bullshit. Um, and, and here he is second term, like, you know, basically totally did like a 180. Um, and most people don't really know this unless, you know, and I'm almost 40. Um, actually, I'll be, I'll be 39 in January. But <laughs> most, most, yeah, yeah most, do what? I'm January 15th. Uh, I'm the 25th. Yeah. Awesome. Aquarius, Aquarius. Um, most people don't know this, especially if you're under 30, but I, mean, I wasn't a huge fan of, of Bush 43, but during his presidency in his era, I mean, there was no BLM, there was no Antifa, there was no, there was none of these, you know, um, nationwide race wars and riots and burning down city blocks. There was none of that. Um, you know, like you had your occasional riot or whatever it is, but like it wasn't this coordinated effort all across the country. All that stuff started during the Obama presidency. Um, and so it's, you know, learning the facts, history, you know, watching and listening to people like, you know, uh, you know, Candace Owens or Shapiro or now like David J. Harris on, on Instagram, you know, Dan Bongino. Um, I've always been a fan of like, you know, Tucker Carlson. Um, but a lot of these other like, you know, younger black you know, leaders, um, and even people like, you know, Charlie Kirk of, you know, Turning Point USA. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I always like politics in a sense, but because of what's happened this year, it, it's like, you're not forced, you were not forced to know and learn more about it up until this year, you know? Um, I mean, people have always had an people have always had like an interest in it, but it's like, we weren't really forced to really pay attention to it because it wasn't really directly in our face.
Yeah. Sorry. Oh. So, right. Nobody can really escape it now because it's, it's seeped into every aspect of our lives and all of our freedoms are literally locked down. Right. So that's a huge, I, I'm really curious about, I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, I personally feel like there is actually a lot of overlap between kind of like, uh, health fitness and, you know, uh, politics actually um and especially in terms of uh you know cultural mindset um and worldview there there was a study that was done a few years ago about how uh and this is more true for men than it is for women but like uh athletes tended to be more likely to be conservative and which i thought was kind of fascinating but i, I think it makes a lot of sense from the aspect of like what we were talking about before in terms of personal responsibility and work ethic and and freedom because I think that there is a sense of when you have autonomy, you know, along with freedom comes responsibility. Or I should say the reverse is really true. You have to take responsibility and work in order to be able to have freedom. And I think it's the reason that a lot of people choose not to. You know, they choose to uh, be controlled and they choose to be taken care of in it, and they're willing to sacrifice some of their freedoms for that. Um, and I think there's a huge, uh, you know, repercussions for that are, you know, when it comes to health and fitness, when you decide to just put it in the hands of, you know, blame your genetics or, you know, whatever the government or whatever you've been told is, you know, and you don't take any responsibility for your health, um, or, you know, and we certainly see that in the same, you know, the political climate, you know, both end in a, uh, demise and destruction. So... What are your thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, um, I mean, that certainly can be a, a very, you know, another in-depth, you know, separate conversation. But, you know, right now, like, it's it's not about Republicans or Democrats anymore. Yeah. It is about is about freedom and liberty versus tyranny, yep. and that and that is ultimately what it comes down to. I one hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and and like, and when people. You know, if you don't like America, I mean, get the fuck out of here. I mean, it's just, it's pretty, it's that simple. It's like, we have all these Hollywood people, like, I don't like America, this, this, well, you know, it's like America is like the only place that you can say that you can leave, but you actually don't leave because everybody knows that any other country, you don't have the same freedoms and liberties. And America is the only place to actually do that. Um, and most people that say that have never actually been outside of the country. Um, I'm not talking just like Hollywood or, you know, elites or athletes or whatever, but just, you know, normal everyday people. I mean, I've, I've been out of the country, you know, several times. I've been to Spain and Portugal, Morocco. Uh, I've been to El Salvador twice. I, I lived in Mexico for a few months um, when I was in early college when I did a study abroad program. So, you know, you see what the other world uh, offers, but you also see how other people live, you know. You know, go, go to Mexico City for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever it is. See how other people live. You know, you'll, you'll come back in the United States. You'll be kissing the ground you walk on. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it's just like um, people, people's lack of perspective, their lack of ignorance and education. Um, it, it, you know, it's just a lot of that is because of the educational system, but also a cultural and environmental, um, you know, negative consequence um, to that stuff. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any other things you want to add? Any? Like, oh no, that was that was a that was a lot. We could certainly. Yeah, I feel like we could probably talk for another few hours. Maybe we will. 
yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. It was good stuff. And I always like sharing my thoughts, you know, with, with viewership and um, hopefully, um, you know, point people will give people a better, you know, insight and direction to, you know, yeah. whatever gonna, it is. I have two more questions for you. Yeah. Well, then we'll wrap it up. So my one question is, what do you see, uh, you know, because there have been a lot of changes in, you know, the past six months. What do you see as being the future for the health and fitness industry? And what do you see the future uh, for this country coming up? Um, the future for the industry, I definitely see um, uh, an expansion or some type of an expansion um, just on the bigger picture with telehealth. Um, and um, uh, healthcare really changing, especially not only policies, but have a greater degree of, of having greater competition across state lines to kind of drive down the cost of health insurance, but have it be like higher, you know, insurance. Um, and I, I'm not an expert like in healthcare or anything like that or policy, but uh, I, in terms of like health and fitness, um, definitely greater degrees in, the, in the, the technological aspect with how we actually collect data, um, apparel uh, that could potentially be used to gather uh, data for uh, feedback or biofeedback. To yeah, the military has it already. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, even Under Armour has various yeah. apparel to um, provide, you know, feedback for, for data stuff. Um, you know, that can be also be trickled down to uh, in the education setting, you know, for labs, you know, whether it's to help students or, or whatever it is. So I, I see that really continuing to, to really grow. Um, I also see education really changing in terms of how it's being delivered. Um, I, I don't know, there's going to be a lot of changes to education in the next couple of years, um, mainly because of what's happened with the COVID stuff. Um, and I don't really, uh, I mean, I, I can speculate, but like who really knows for sure, but um, it, it, it's probably going to be a combination of good and, you know, and, and bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but for the country, um, I would say that, that this is the most important election that anybody's ever going to face in their entire lifetime. Um, I, th I thought 2016 was pretty important, but I, I would say that this is even more important. Um, I, I think, um, I, I, know, I believe wholeheartedly that, that Trump was going to get reelected, um, um, but it, it could likely be contested um, and it may go up to the Supreme Court. Um, hopefully it won't go in that direction because I think there's going to be a huge red tsunami coming, you know, November 3rd. Um, you know, even to uh, November 4th, but, um, and I don't even know if we'll even know the results, you know, that night or the, or, or the next day, but um, this is probably the most important election that we're ever going to face in our, in, in our lifetime. Um, it, it's, it's, I, I, I would never expect it to be what it is, you know, today, and I don't think it really anybody did, and um, it's, it's a, I mean, this country would, would ever be our socialist country. Um, you know, there's this, the, the, the people of this country will revolt and turn into an absolute American revolution uh, if, if that ever, if that ever occurs. Um, I mean, you know, 60% of gun owners um, or 6% of whites, I think, are, are gun owners. Um, and so, you know, you, you will see people come out of retirement or, you know, these patriots. I mean, the patriots are in control. The, the media won't tell you that, um, but, but, but they are in control. And, um, you know, so, so it's, I will say, and I tell my students, I don't get into a lot of the political stuff, you know, when I'm talking classes, but uh, I just say, you know, 
uh, hold on to your butts because it's it's going to get real hot and heavy these next you know forty days. Um, so that's uh, that's that. <laughs> hold on tight, yeah. It's yeah. In there. Yep. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Oh yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime, and I look forward to uh, um, to seeing it online at various other platforms. Yeah, definitely. And I will have a link, but until I until we post this, uh, please tell everybody where they can find you. Oh yeah, you can email me um, drjmike.com, and then you can follow me on Instagram at drjmike, and then send me a DM. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, uh, Twitter is uh, jmike125, and of course, I spend most of my time on Instagram. And but yeah, send me a message, feel free, and um, uh, hopefully, we can uh, answer any questions that you may have. Awesome. Yes, definitely follow him. His content is awesome. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.